We're going to uh, just listen to God's word in the book of Genesis. And here to read God's words, Carol. This morning's scripture reading is taken from Genesis 18, verses 16 to 33. When the men got up to leave, they looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. The Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of the 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous for the wick- with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? The Lord said, If I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there, he said, I will will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if only 20 can be found there? He said, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Carol. So we are in the book of Genesis right now, and in the past few weeks, we have been looking at the life of Abraham. And uh, Abraham is a man whose name is virtually synonymous with a life of faith. And we are seeing this man growing in his faith throughout these chapters. And now we come to chapter 18, and uh, we're beginning to look at a very disturbing and dark couple of chapters in the book of, of Genesis. We're going to be thinking about 
couple of cities, many cities in the area, actually, um, Sodom and Gomorrah. And I didn't know really where to put this in the sermon, but I'll just say it now. Next week, we are going to see an attempt at some egregious um, sexual violence. And I think that it's appropriate for you to know ahead of time and to be aware of that. Um, It's just an incredibly dark story. Why are we looking at it? I just didn't feel like we could pick and choose, you know, the kind of passages that would make us feel nice (laughs) and good and to ignore the more difficult and challenging portions of Scripture. We, I didn't feel like we could go around it. I thought, I think we have to go through it as a church. Uh, but at the same time, I want you to know what's coming. I want you to know that we're looking at just these, these cities that were so incredibly wicked and so incredibly evil. And I, I don't think we have any clue. We have no reference point to just how wicked and evil these places were. I mean, we know that it was so wicked and evil that the outcry reached God. And when an outcry reaches God in the scriptures, that's a big deal. And we know it's a very serious thing. And so we're looking at, this morning, a man named Abraham interacting with Sodom and Gomorrah. And uh, we're going to see a man intercede for these cities. We're going to see a man pray and ask God to be merciful and spare these cities this morning. And if you're anything like me, and I I think you probably are, you and I would really benefit from learning a few things about intercessory prayer. And, And I'm talking about praying for people who are lost. Because the scriptures, the New Testament scriptures are pretty clear that what we see in this chapter, in these two chapters of Sodom and Gomorrah, are an example, this is Jude 7, an example of those who suffer the punishment of God's eternal judgment. And we see a man pleading for God's mercy. And we're going to learn how this morning to plead on behalf of those who are facing a Christless eternity. I'm talking about people that you know right now who don't have faith, saving faith in Jesus Christ. This passage this morning is here to help us and to help us to pray and to pour out our hearts on behalf of those who are walking in darkness and who are walking away from God and eternity with a knowledge of God's love and presence. So this passage that we're going to look at this morning will teach us three things about intercessory prayer. One is that it's responsive. Number two, that it's radical. And number three, that it's redemptive. First, intercessory prayer is responsive. And what do I mean by that? Well, let me show you from the passage. There are three messengers in chapter 18. Uh, Just before the text that we read, three, they show up to Abraham and Sarah's house. And in that day, when you showed up at someone's house, they would welcome you in, and they did. They had lunch, and these messengers tell Abraham and Sarah that they're going to have a son. One of the figures, and we know this from the passage, is God himself. It's a theophany. And I used that word last week, and someone said to me, what's a theophany afterwards? I failed to define my terms then. I won't this morning. It is a physical manifestation of God. This is God in a physical body, guised in a physical body. One of the three is God himself. 
And so, as he gets up to leave, after lunch, he says to the others, I'm sure within earshot of, of Abraham, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Shall I hide that from him? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. And then if you look at verse 20, the Lord said, the outcry, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see what they have done. And if it is so bad as the outcry that has reached me, and if not, I I will know. So clearly, we're looking at evil. We're looking at evil cities. So much so that the outcry has reached heaven. And it says here that God's going to go down and see if it's so. It may be confusing. Doesn't God know all things? This is here for our benefit. It's here to show us that God's not capricious. He actually, when he, when he looks at sin, when he's about to judge it, he is just. He's done his homework, so to speak. But before he walks away, he says, should, should we hide this from him? How, 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 how can we hide this from Abraham? And the reason why I think they're saying this is because friends don't keep secrets from one another. And Abraham is God's friend. And friends share stuff with each other. Here's, here's what I want you to see. Intercessory prayer begins with God. It doesn't begin with us. Intercessory prayer is really a response to God. I learned this, well, I kind of did, when I was a very brand new Christian. This was in the 80s. I was... Um, Following a gentleman, uh, a great author, he wrote a book called, I think it was called Daring to Draw Near. Went to a conference, and I found the guy, and I, I cornered him, and I was a young guy wanting to know how to pray. And, he, and I said to him, how do you pray? And he said to me, he just put his hand on my shoulder, I'll never forget it. And I looked at those, like, nondescript gray eyes, old man. And he simply said, son, prayer begins with God. And I had no idea what he was talking about then. I kind of get it now. Eugene Peterson put it this way, that prayer has its origin in God's movement toward us. God always makes the first move. Do you see what he's saying here? That prayer, all prayer and, and certainly intercessory prayer is always a response to God who is prior. God moves towards us. We move towards God in prayer. That is very different than the way that prayer is construed today. I mean, when people talk about prayer or do pray, how do they think about it? It's just it's a, it's a list that I bring to God of things that I want. But this is different. This is God moving towards human beings with his agenda, what's important to him. And disclosing it to us. And so I guess the question I want to explore with you this morning is this. Is if prayer and intercessory prayer is indeed responsive 
then why don't we hear from God more often? Like, why, why is it that we don't hear God putting it on our hearts to pray for this person and that person who, who are lost? I've thought about this this week, and I think there are probably a dozen good answers to that question. But one I want to think about with you this morning. Because I was thinking about it this week. We live in a culture that is flooded and overwhelmed with brokenness. I mean, just think about what's going on this week. What's been going on around the world. It just seems like every time you turn on the news, it's every time you go on social media, every time you just go on the internet, it's just like bad stuff. And I don't know if it's you know always been this way. Is it just because we have the internet that things are closer today? But it just seems so dark in our world today. And I I don't know about you, but I don't like darkness. You know, I don't, I don't like the brokenness that I see. Like, I, I, I want to avoid it. I try to change the algorithms, you know, on, in my inter- on YouTube and social media to, like, happy stuff. So that when I go there, it's a place where I can just escape from all of the negativity and the noise. Now, I know I'm choosing nice noise for, you know, against the hard noise. But I'm still choosing that. And maybe, maybe... I'll just put this out as a possibility. The reason why we don't hear God speaking to us, calling to us, asking us like with Abraham to participate prayerfully for the lost is because we don't want to listen to him. Like I I don't really want to think about people in terms of their eternal context. I don't want to think of people I know walking, marching towards a Christless eternity. I'd rather look at fishing shows. Or what? You know, and I I I don't want to go there and I don't want to sit there and I don't want to be burdened by the inevitable fate of those who have no faith in Christ. I I don't want to do it. But here's the thing. The New Testament calls us a royal priesthood. Like, this is crazy that he has chosen the church from all peoples on the face of the earth and has strategically placed the church in the world to do something that the priesthood was called to do, which is to pray. And God has chosen to listen to the prayers of the church on behalf of a lost world. That's crazy. But friends, that's what he's done. And so I think it behooves us then to find ways to stop distracting ourselves on the one hand. And I'm talking to myself more than anyone in this room. (laughs) Trust me. If you think you can distract yourself, I've got you beat. Trust me. Stop distracting ourselves on the one hand and then, you know, create space and enough space to actually feel and think about people 
but to think about them in a way which is true. And what is true, friends, is this, that God is loving and gracious, and he has given his son to this world. He says, come to me, and I'll save you, but come through my son, Jesus Christ. And so many people, millions of people around the world, people that you know and I know that are in our families and in our neighborhoods and in our schools and in our workplaces don't know Jesus. And you know them. And I know them. And we have just been called by this God who makes the first move and says, come, join me and pray. I mean, if this letter, this book rather, this morning, and this interaction with Abraham and his interaction with God teaches us anything, it surely is this, that that prayer begins with God. And that interactive or intercessory prayer is always responsive. That is so beautiful. But it's not just responsive, it's also radical. And I'll show you what I mean here in the passage but we gotta, we got to put ourselves here for a second, okay, in Abraham's shoes, because this is not a practice prayer. He hasn't scripted out this prayer. This is happening real time, right? This is on the fly. He's figuring stuff out as he goes. All he knows is that God is going to judge these cities because of their wickedness. That's all he knows. But he's confused. Because what if there are righteous people living in that city? Will God wipe everybody away? What about the righteous people? It's like, how can God do that? How can he do that? And so he says to God, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked so that there's no difference between them? Far be it from you, God. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right? And then he begins to bargain with God. Listen to this. Again, this is unscripted. This is spontaneous. God, if there are 50 righteous in the city, will you spare it? God says, I will for 50. What about for five less than 50? God says, yes, for 45 righteous, I will spare. And then he goes down, but to 40 and then to 30. Thank you for coming to my rescue. I was quite ill this week. I'm better now. But my voice is not in the clear. That's okay. It's good to be dependent. 45, for the sake of 45, for the sake of 40, for the sake of 30, for the sake of 20, yet for the sake of, for the sake of 10. Will you spare these cities? And God says, I will. For these, for 10 righteous people, I will spare the city. And then God ends the conversation. He goes one way. Abraham goes back to his own home. And what I want you to see, friends, and this is important, is that intercessory prayer is radical for two reasons. It's both bold and it's humble. Bold, why? I mean, listen to the way he's talking to God. First, he's talking to God. Okay, he's talking to God. I mean, how crazy is that? He's talking to God. And then he kind of like tells God how to be God, right? Um, how can you do this? You know, how, can, shall the God of all earth do what is, is right? He has to do what's right. How can you do this? He, he's almost telling God how to be God, right? And then he begins to bargain himself down. God, for the sake of 50 and 45 and 40 and 30 and 20 and 10, will you not spare 
these cities. Does, does guys got chutzpah? He does. But he's got more than chutzpah. He's, he's a guy who's humble. Listen to him pray. Listen to him. Listen to him pray. Even though I've taken it upon myself to pray to the Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes, don't be angry with me. Don't be angry with me. Don't be angry with me. And this combination of both boldness and humility, it just goes right throughout his prayer. And I think that intercessory prayer needs both. I think that without both, we will not pray intercessory prayers. If God, if all we think about when we think about God is God being merciful, we will have, there'll be no urgency in our prayers, right? I love the idea of a merciful God. In some ways, I prefer a merciful God over a just God. But what I have noticed is that that imbalance has not actually led to stronger prayers, intercessory prayers. And I don't think that just seeing God as a holy and just God does anything either because what's the point? Look, if God is holy and just and is just going to punish sin, then what's the point in praying at all? It can't be either. It's got to be both. Don't you see how radical this prayer is? And I guess the question I I, want to ask you, and I'm asking myself this morning, that when we see God as we see God, how do we see him? Because here in this passage, Abraham has a picture, a vision of God, where he is both holy and merciful. And those two things come together, and they infuse this man's prayer with dynamite. And I just wonder, like, what would it be for us if we had a vision, if we could catch a vision of God that was this incredible and radical? A God so holy and just. A God who cannot wink at sin and pretend it doesn't matter. A God who has to act, but a God who is also merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. I think you and I need a vision of this God. I think that one of the reasons why prayer is lacking is because this view of God is lacking. And I don't know how to get that except to say we have got to ask God to open our eyes to see who he actually is and who he's revealed himself to be in the scriptures and to ask God to give us those eyes so that we see him as he is, as a holy and pure and beautiful God and yet also radically merciful and gracious. It's radical. But there's one more thing here. It's this. It's redemptive. Why do I say it's redemptive? Here's why. And I forgot to mention this. Why did I forget it? I held off. But here it is. Abraham has family living in Sodom and Gomorrah. His nephew Lot, his wife, and their two daughters. Four. The reason why I think this is redemptive is because if his only concern was for Lot and his family, why didn't he just say, Lord, for the sake of four? Why not mention their names? Why not say to God, God, just evacuate them? Why does he talk about the 50, the 40? Why? 
because his concern is for far more than Lot and his family. His concern is for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's asking a holy but merciful God to spare these cities. Do you see that? It's redemptive. And I want to know where you get that heart. Like, I want to know where you get the kind of heart that actually sees people and their fate and is so moved that you are pleading with God for mercy. I want to know that. Don't you? I think you've got to get it from God. And it turns out that God has a heart. God has a heart for those who are lost. Like, I don't see God here wringing his fingers in our text, spoiling to pour out judgment. I don't see that. I, I see a God who is so grieved, who takes no delight in the destruction of the wicked. But I also see a God who has found a way in history, has found one righteous person when there was no righteous person around. And for the sake of that one spared millions and countless millions. He gave us his righteous son. When there was no righteous person in this world. And that righteous son lived a righteous life. And died a righteous death. So that any who come to him in faith might be saved. And that is the heart of God. For this world. He did not come to judge the world, John 3 says, but to save the world. And I want that heart. And don't we want that heart? Where when we see the world around us, we're thinking redemptively and we're praying redemptively and we are interceding and stepping into the gap with the heart of God himself. Now, I'm going to finish here with a few things just to press them into your hearts by way of application because this has to land somewhere. And most of the books I've ever read on prayer never inspired me to pray. They never did. I always felt guilty for not praying more. And the last thing I want to do here this morning is for you to feel guilty. I think guilt's a bad motivator. It motivates, but it doesn't really have any staying power. Man, I think the only thing that really will cause our hearts to stay is, is the glory and the love of God in Jesus Christ. And for that truth just to get into our hearts and his heart into our hearts. And I want to be realistic too. I want... And I believe God wants Grace West to be a church that is stepping into the gap. And stepping into the gap for those who are lost. I believe that. I want to be realistic with you this morning and say this is very difficult for most, if not all of us. I don't think any of us in this room would dare to say they've got this nailed. You know, I don't think so. I think all of us can say we really need to grow in this area. And I think we want to grow in this area. So here's what I'm going to say to you this morning. In order to cultivate a heart 
of intercessory prayer, we have to cultivate it slowly. Slowly. Here's what I mean. It's too much. It's too overwhelming to think of all the people in this world who are lost. I don't know about you, but that causes my heart to shut down. And I have not been put in this world, and you have not been put in this world to interact with every human being. God has strategically located us wherever he's put us, in our neighborhoods, in our families, in our workplaces, wherever. What does that mean? It means this. I just think it means this. We start slowly, and we think about one or two people right now in our lives who don't now know Christ, who need to know Christ. And as I say that, you know who those people are. And, and so we begin to pray. And over time, as God grows the spirit in us, we add more people and more people and more people. But for now, if we're not doing it, let's start with one or two. Simple. We do it slowly. I think we also have to do it as a church. I'd love to say that this is something that we should be doing in our personal lives. And okay, sure, do that. Of course. But it's hard. It's easier to do it as a community. And that's why in our small groups week by week, there is a section at the end of our studies called prayer and prayer points. Those are opportunities for us to act as a church that intercedes for the lost. And so if you're in a small group, I would encourage you to exploit that. If you're not in a small group, you can get into one. And it'd be great for you to get into one and to join us as we intercede for the lost. I'll say this. I think that we probably need to set time aside as a church and come together and pray. I don't know when this fall, but plans are already at play for us to rent all of the Baptist church and to come together for an evening of intercessory prayer for those who are lost. So stay tuned. It's coming. And let's be sure to gather. I think we have to pray, hopefully. You know, not just slowly, not just as a church, as a community, but also hopefully. Why do I say that? You're here this morning because someone prayed for you. You may know who prayed for you. One thing I know for sure is that if you are in Christ this morning, somebody prayed for you. Somebody interceded for you. Who was it? Somebody did. And this is what I know about about God. And we'll see this. I mean, he doesn't actually answer Abraham's prayer request exactly the way that Abraham prays, but he does answer because Lot and his family are spared, and we'll see that. It's an answer to prayer. And we have to believe, because God is in the business of saving people, that he will hear our prayers. He will hear them. And we're trusting that that hearing is going to mean that people now who are lost will come to saving faith. And so we pray hopefully, don't we? What, a, what an amazing 
opportunity to think that God would call us to partner with him. The God of all heaven and earth. Crazy. And participate in the salvation of people who right now are walking in darkness, are dead in their sins, who need Christ as Savior. And that he would 